Welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we take a look at what is making headlines in the world of NHS IT. I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and I'm senior reporter here at Digital Health. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Digital Health Unplugged. As always, we are not short of topics to discuss, and today we're going to be looking at the NHSX program, What Good Looks Like. The program aims to empower NHS leaders to do everything they can to implement good digital practice across health and care. But what does good actually look like? Joining us on the podcast to help establish just that are some of our Digital Health Networks members and some other experts. We have with us Jonathan Kay, Chair of the Faculty of Clinical Informatics and member of our CCIO Advisory Panel. Hello, Jonathan here. (laughs) We have David Hancock, Healthcare Executive Advisor at Intersystems. Hello there, Andrea. We have Marcus Ball, GP and also a member of our CCIO Advisory Panel. And last but not least, we have our editor at Digital Health, Hannah Crouch. Hi, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Um, I'll just give a really quick brief introduction to the What Good Looks Like program for those of our listeners who might not know much about it um, before I start asking for everyone's thoughts and opinions. The program is essentially aiming to create a model for digital maturity within the NHS. Providers and systems will be asked to, uh, sorry, they'll be assessed against this model, which is also aiming to generate some insights into where digital is being done well and how that's being done. The end game of this, of course, is to accelerate digital transformation across health and social care. So I guess a good place to sort of kick off the discussion would be to ask you guys what good looks like to you and what you think NHSX should be focusing on here. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to throw this over to you straight away, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, I think the first point I'd like to make is there's something about raising the baseline. What should we be doing efficiently, safely, everywhere? What should healthcare professionals expect to be in front of them when they start a new job? Imagine that nurse on the first day of her job or that F1 doctor. Are we going to leave that to be effectively controlled by a local hospital of what they have in front of them? Or is there something about baseline that needs to be lifted? Now, that's not at all meaning using the same computer systems. but It probably doesn't mean doing things identically, but it does demand some sort of commonality. That's going to immediately improve quality and safety and is going to make it much easier for the people who are teaching those healthcare professionals because they'll be teaching them in much more realistic environments rather than that terrible day one shock. So that's the baseline that needs to be everywhere. That's the first point. The second point is somebody has to evaluate the innovations. And it's no good leaving this to the innovators because, of course, what they'll do, uh, what they do is brilliant to them. And it often is. But someone on behalf of everyone else needs to check, is this actually delivering? Um, Is it transferable? Can it be done somewhere else? That's not the same as doing the innovation, but that evaluation needs to be done. It needs to be done independently of the innovators and it needs to be published. The third item of what good looks like is we don't run into difficult problems every time we put in another system or change another workflow. Every, we've got to move away from everything being a pilot project. So you need the barriers to be spotted in advance so that each organization within the NHS, when it implements, is able to get very high on that learning curve very quickly. So I'd start with those three. 
you may notice they don't actually say improving digitization. What I'd like to see is the computers and the other technology improving the standards of clinical practice. And I think we may do better if we have that as the high level objective. Hmm, that's interesting. So how would you implement like a, a way to improve the standard of like clinical objectives? Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to address the real problems that are out there. The problem is not we don't have a computer X to do task Y. But we know what the big clinical problems are. And we know what the big problems in the system are. And they are migration to shared care across organizations. If your information systems aren't there, that's made a lot harder. There are moves towards self-care by patients. And if you don't have access to your own records and you don't have access to superb knowledge, that isn't going to work. NHS performs very well on lots of targets, but it doesn't perform well on early diagnosis of cancer. There's an informatics element in that. We know we have enormous problems of staff recruitment, retention and staff burden. So in that evaluation I've been mentioning, what it does to staff burden should be explicitly evaluated in every project in and every implementation. And we know we have problems of communication. That's between health and care professionals between health and care professionals and patients and carers. And you only have to look at any organization list of complaints and severe untoward incidents to see how simple problems of communication escalate into major problems that affect patients. David, I'd like to ask you what you think of that. Well, um, I, I think that, that what, what Jonathan is saying is, um, is very, very much on the money because of this is not about you know, it's not. It cannot be about checkbox. It cannot be about how we're buying sort of, for for the want of a better term, pieces of tin or software. Ultimately, it's got to be how we look get better at being able to put use digital to be able to get better outcomes. You know, and that's where we need to be all getting to. And so, you know, we can't get there in kind of one bound. So we need to work how we how we get there. And that is obviously um, it needs to be done in a somewhat more incremental way. But I think that's what we've we've got to realise that that's the target that we we need to be aiming towards. I think that in general, you know, I am very supportive of what NHSX are are doing this with what 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 it looks like, and I understand why they're wanting to do it because in the past, you know, when we've had GDE programs or what have you, we've been looking and measuring things based on things like the HIMS EMR adoption model, MRAM, where focus on reaching a certain level. But I think everybody's realized that that again is somewhat, um, maybe at times rather rather, rather technical. Um, it's also rather uh, inwardly focusing on a hospital in terms of what goes on inside its four walls. And as as, as Jonathan has said, you know, the focus is now is about shared care. It's about integrated care systems. It's about how you support end-to-end -end patient journeys. So, you know, what models are there out there to be able to support that and show show what good looks like? And I think it's recognition that we need something different and um, to to be able to support that. So, I, I think that's I think that's really good. The thing that we also should learn from experience, though, is when you start to begin to set measures for people to be able to assess them in some way, you know, the NHS is uh, um, very good at uh, ending up um, trying to be able to achieve things 
but being it, but ending up in many ways gaming the system to be able to give the results that people actually want to see rather than actually making change. And this comes down to a fundamental thing where what good looks like absolutely is as much about culture as it is about anything else. Because as we know, you know as I think Peter Drucker said, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So we have to recognize that what good looks like fundamentally addresses cultural things as well and seeks to see how we can improve that to make digital work better within that better culture. I will openly confess to being quite cynical about these kind of programs, um, whoever comes up with them, because I always think that they're well-meaning, but ultimately they fail because they have run out of ideas. They, they are misdirected. I get the idea that you might want to say like what good looks like, but I remember being a junior doctor and having very clear views about the clinical systems I was asked to use. But it was, there was an in, immense wall for me to get through to get involved in telling anybody what good looks like. And here I am now today, able to vent my spleen on a, on a podcast about it. But it's taken me 10 years to get here. And I've had to sort of move away from some of my clinical responsibilities to do that. Now, there is no way you can know what good looks like um, remotely from inside NHSX. And there just aren't enough, um, there just isn't enough work being done to go and talk to clinicians and find out what good looks like from clinicians. And, and I, I'm saying clinicians, uh, knowing that, you know, some people would say, well, what about patients? Uh, but, and I think you've got to have patients in mind, but just putting it very simply, what's good for clinicians generally down the pipeline is good for patients too. So for example, a really good uh, term that I, that I think I've coined, which is clinical drag. Okay, clinical drag is everything that you are doing clinically that is feeding the beast of the IT system and not getting the job done. So, I mean, I, I work in ED as a, as a locum, as well as being a GP. And in both of those roles, the vast majority of the time I spend at work is doing clinical drag. It's things that could be a one-click um, solution, as I guess, you know, a one-click referral, a one-click ordering blood tests. These things could be orders of magnitude quicker and better for me. Now, if those things were better, then I would, I would spend 10 minutes seeing the patient in ED, five minutes sorting out what they need, and I'd be on to the next patient. But as it is, because it's 40 clicks to order a blood test, um, I spend five, 10 minutes seeing the patient and 20 minutes documenting what I've done. So that's taken me twice as long overall. And now I see half as many patients. So you can see how were I optimized, were my workflows ref, um, re, free of this clinical drag, I could get a lot more patients seen. And that's good for patients. It's very, that's very interesting, Marcus, because uh, um, I agree with um, an awful lot, awful lot of, what, of, of what you're saying. Um, I, I, I don't know if this is the, the um, what good looks like program. I, I don't quite know. You know, I don't know anything more really about it than what Andrea has um, has described. So I, I don't know if what level they're going to going to go to. But I, I understand where your where your fears come from. 
But I think one of the biggest issues that we've got, and you talked about when you're, is it any better what we've got in the computer system that, than what we did exist with the existing paper flows, is that I think one of the things this has got to be successfully do is to be able to help boards, the boards of organizations, you know, the boards of trusts or what have you, to be far more engaged and understand more about digital and understand more about digital transformation and understand the leadership that they have to be um, they have to take in order to be able to make to, to make this work because it is fundamental to an organization this is not just some technical problem which we're going to which which we're going to fix you know the fundamental digital transformation you know is complex adaptive change which involves engagement across all levels of the organization and people both in managerial level and what have you and at the front line working together to be able to work out how you are able to solve these problems in a better way with technology. And I think that um, if there's something that can come out of this program that gets boards more understanding and more engaged around digital transformation, that should surely help on a number of number of dimensions of what you've been talking about. Yeah, can I pick up what Marcus said there? So what he's saying is very close to what I was describing as raising the baseline and addressing the known problems. In this case, the problem being staff burden. So the evaluation should be shaped towards those, and that's kept through. Uh, Marcus talked about the example of emergency departments and uh, requesting a laboratory medicine. You'll find the same four or five tasks are there in if you go from one setting to another, one ED to another, or one medical admissions unit to another, one ITU to another, they will give you the same list of tasks and problems in the way that Marcus mentioned there, they'll be slightly different. There's not enormous disagreement about those. When you get to more advanced functionality, there's more disagreement. So raising the baseline is just spotting those and simplifying them, but with very clear objectives. In this time, this case, making it easier for Marcus to do that job than it would be without that system being there. That's pretty easy to evaluate as long as you've reduced it to those sort of building blocks. It's much harder if you discuss it in the language of... Um, going digital or some abstract term that is like that. But if you keep it concrete, you'll get enormous commonality. So I'm really glad that Marcus kind of mentioned the fact that it's being driven centrally by NHSX because um, it leaves me on to wanting to... I, one of the things I kind of want to understand about this program is whether this should be driven from the centre or whether this needs a more local focus. Um because obviously different trusts and organizations have very different levels of digital maturity and have very different amounts of resources available to them. Um, so what works for one may not necessarily work for another. Um, so does NHSX need to be looking at this from a more local perspective, do you think? Um, so I think the problems that clinicians are facing and that patients are suffering as a result of the clinicians facing uh, those problems are very similar everywhere. We have a habit of saying that they're very different, but that's partly self-protective. It's partly awareness of population's needs. They're not very different anywhere across the United Kingdom. You'd spot the same problems. What's different is the organisational aspects, the legacy systems that people bring to this, and how important it is in local strategies. But I don't think the genuine problems are very different. Yes, yeah, so, so I think for, to be able to, dis, to describe, you know, what problems need to be solved, but not saying how, because the how it absolutely is based on local environment, local conditions, local systems. But 
what needs to be achieved is, um, I think, you know, is wholly, uh, wholly legitimate. And as Jonathan says, is something which is, um, which is, which, which, which is common. And, um, and I think that can, um, um, you know, that can certainly help people as they, as they navigate through um, what they, um, what they need to do to be able to improve digital, um, um, you know, digital support of their uh, clinical and administrative processes. Um, I think uh, on the local versus national sort of thing, I, I also think that's one of those arguments that's kind of a, almost a marker or a symptom of the fact that the centre has run out of ideas on how to actually deliver what's needed because they they won't think about this problem in the right way. So the the centre tends to vacillate between the extremes of we'll do everything nationally um, or, or we'll do everything locally. And the, it, unfortunately, the, the answer is that it doesn't matter whether you look at this problem nationally or locally, we haven't set the foundations in place to fix some of these problems and, and raise the baseline. And while I know that NHSX is talking the big talk about open source, it's just hiring people, as far as I can see, who, who get in post and then hire someone else below them and then they hire someone else below them. But no one has actually put their fingers on the keyboard and said, these are the things we need. So for example, in the, in the hospital context, where is the open source PaaS? A PaaS, to build an open source PaaS is not a, 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 a completely um, impossible task. It's actually quite a fairly simple piece of software. It doesn't do an awful, um, an awful lot of stuff. It does. It has great functionality within the hospital. It does a lot of function in the hospital. But in terms of how you build one, I don't think that they're you know insurmountable. So where's the open source PaaS? That in itself, uh, uh, that would free um, all the money that's currently being spent on on PaaSes, which are you know quite basic, for, is freed up so that um, that money can be diverted to new things. So that's just one component. But so if you know, go back to my analogy of you know you had to buy an an open an operating system and put a web server on it and or do all these things. You now nobody in their right mind in the real web web world is paying for an operating system. They use Linux. No one is buying a web server because there are free open source web servers that are better than anything you could buy. There are open source web frameworks that make it so easy to build a website that does database and that does um, HTML rendering that you can't make a mistake almost. You know, all the difficult bits are taken care of. And I think that's a massive oversimplification. But then if you then cast your eye into the healthcare world, we are still paying for operating systems. We're still paying for basic functionality like the PaaS and like the Clinical 5, really, you could say, which is you know, a term that's been around for 10 years. And yet everybody's still paying for a Clinical 5, even though they're relatively straightforward pieces of software. And I'm not saying that we force these things on people top down, but if there is an open source option, then the next time you need to replace your PaaS, you'll go, yeah, I might just use this free one that is starting to gain um, momentum. Now that raises the baseline because gradually everybody sort of standardizes themselves. No need to mandate a standard. Um, people standardize themselves based around what's easy to do. Um, and that is how, how to raise the baseline. But unfortunately people, either can't or won't think in those terms um, because it disrupts either their 
power base or their business model or, or some other reason that they won't think about it. So, so we come back to, is, should we do it locally or should we do it nationally? And the answer is, I don't care. Just stop not doing it. Um, I'd like to take that a bit further on baseline um, and, and away from uh, the important points about open source. Um, and that is that there are other people involved in this. Um, NHS is basically a staffing operation. So we have people responsible for education. We have people responsible for quality, accreditation and regulation. Those are not very good tools for innovation. They're superb tools for raising the baseline. So if every inspection report by um, a royal college or a regulator was looking and assessing organizations against the baseline and how they're helping their clinicians and thereby helping their patients, we'd have a whole set of other levers that came to bear on this problem that we wouldn't actually call digital maturity. So you can imagine, for example, the General Medical Council saying, well, you seem to be uh, running OK as an organization, but you're not putting the right tools in front of your young nurses, your junior doctors, in order for them to be able to practice safely and efficiently. Therefore, you're going to be in, in, in trouble for recognition as a suitable organization to train people. That's a very different language from we haven't got a computer that does X. But all of those levers are brought to bear, for example, uh, on a trust board. There's a lot of different pressures. If they were all lined up in the same direction, you'd get a much faster rate of change than if that only came from one direction. Um, I'm just going to jump in because obviously from mine and myself, Andrew's perspective, we're very much on the kind of the outside looking in to these types of things as journalists. We kind of scrutinise and we get people's opinion. But for me, I think I was going to come in and be like, oh, I think it's got to be local, local, local. But I think what David said about it should be kind of national, this is what has to be done. And then the how is at a local level. I think that's a really good point. Um, and it's completely changed my mind completely, which shows how you know fickle I can be. Um, but I think for me, I think the messages have got to be simple. I think with these kind of plans and like the tech plan and long term plan, there's always so much detail in there. And I think if you can keep it, keep the messages and what needs to be done simple, I think it will be more effective than having, like you said, maybe at the local level, the hows and the whys and, and all those types of things. So from, and you know, this is just me, complete, like I said, as completely as outsider, but I think keep it simple and keep it simple to the fact that people can understand it because from what I gather it's got to be how people can approach their CEOs and explain what they're doing and, and from a CEO perspective may not, might not necessarily understand the nitty-gritty behind these types of digital transformation projects so I think yeah for me I think it's just got to be incredibly simple and as Marcus said have that kind of interaction with clinicians so that it has been made with the clinician in mind and the patient so to speak so yeah, I think that from my perspective, keep it simple. Yeah, definitely keep it simple, building blocks, incremental. But I had another word in there in my uh, initial uh, position, which was um, about evaluation. So with, with your journalist hats on, um, can I say how valuable it is to have journalists looking in at systems? Because bizarrely, that's how a lot of uh, transformation is carried laterally across the NHS because you get interested and say something. We have very poor systems for identifying good practice and for transferring good practice. Now that again is another one that isn't either center or local, it needs both, but we're not very good at it. And that's also part of the professionalization for clinical informaticians. So when I, ha when I have a laboratory medicine hat on, 
I know what the journals are. I know who the leaders are. I know what the metrics are. All characteristics of professionalization. But when I put my clinical informatics hat on, it looks rather more like really well um, intentioned people behaving more like a cottage industry than like a modern profession. Well, I'm thrilled that we have a role to play as journalists. Um, I did just want to pick up a little bit on what Hannah said as well, because I agree. I, um, I've i always thought that, you know, a local level would be a better way to drive transformation because they obviously know what works for their area. Um, but yeah, what, what David said has changed my mind. Um, and also, you mentioned culture, David, which I found really interesting because I think that I mean, obviously I am an outsider and I can only speak from what little experience I do have with working in digital health. Um, but I do think that there has to be a cultural change, doesn't there? Because you can't really set an, a standard and say, this is what we need if you're not going to bring the staff along with you when they're the ones that are going to be using this technology and implementing it. Um, so I found that really interesting and I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, I mean, just to loop back with that and the culture and, and with what Jonathan said about, you know, evaluation and being able to measure how how well people are doing. You know, I think one of the things we've got to realise, you know, is that when when people go to work in the NHS, you know, they don't go to work to do a bad job. In fact, far from it. I mean, the, the NHS employees are some of the most committed employees that you'll ever you'll ever find, you know, on this on 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 this planet. Yet we still find organisations who, when the CQC go in and do an inspection, you know, they are requires improvement, or you know, or um, or, or or even can be even worse. And it's not because of people don't want to do it. So I think, and again, that's where we've got to realise that there's probably something culturally wrong in that organisation, which is making it work in a dis dysfunctional way. So when we're looking at, at, from a digital transformation perspective and we're looking to evaluate what people are doing, it should not be about inspection and measuring people. It should be about coaching. It should be about helping. You know, it should be about enabling to be able to help people get better because all people do want to get better and all people do want to do a good job. And I think, again, this idea that we've had in the past of being able to measure and then such compare and then you end up, you know, celebrating and shaming and people don't want to be in the shamed kind of end of the uh, um, end, end, end of that gig. So what will they do? Well, they'll game, they'll game the numbers, won't they? So I think we've got, as long as we get the culture right and recognise it's about learning, we're trying to develop learning healthcare organisations of which digital is a key part of it. I think that that is going to give us a basis on which to make a programme like this more successful than if it's something else. Mm. So should we be measuring trusts against this? Because like, obviously we had the digital maturity assessments at some point. Um, I don't think I've seen any scores come out for a while. Um, but should... Should we be measuring trust against this um, in the way that we were with those, like the digital maturity assessments, or should it just be a standard that we're kind of aiming for them to reach? The previous assessments I've seen never seem to pin this down to building blocks of the sort that Marcus was describing um, of an, an ED doctor. This is what they need. And so we should have much more agreement on what those tasks are that everyone needs to get right. Yeah, and they should be expressed using the same methods as digital maturity, but with a much less information systems point of view and a much stronger process point of view, because it's the improved process that they support that gives you that safety and efficiency 
and enables uh, you to get onto the next patient instead of that uh, clinical drag. So the building blocks that are going to be evaluated need more work on them. But as I've said, I think you get a lot of agreement and then you measure against those. When you've cracked those everywhere, then you move up a level and you do something more. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there are ways that we could look at this that in terms of keeping it simple and looking at clinical drag is um, let's go and look at all the systems that we have and how many clicks it takes to do, you know, order a set of blood tests. We'll have define a standard, quite common blood test uh, panel that you might do. And, and let's look at every system and compare the number of clicks and, and sort of average clinician time taken because it's not all clicking some of it's you know if you're having to type or or, or see, select something or think about things you you know we could get that and say you know this is the this is the normal distribution of the time it takes to do uh, to do these things and um, and we could look at the mean and say we'd like to reduce that mean um and we could also look at the outliers and say why what makes some systems able to do this in four clicks and and it takes you know 30 seconds and others it's it's um 40 clicks and takes five minutes so that that we could use that to try and find the hot spots as it were of clinical drag and that and that would be really focused that would actually there's it doesn't result in those perverse incentives that david was talking about where where um people are gaming the system to get uh, HIMSS 7 or, or, or some other digital maturity certificate because they don't want to be shamed. You can't fake the number of clicks and you'll be called out on it if your junior doctors um, you know, feel that, that you're misrepresenting it. So just really simple metrics like that. would, And, and for every one of those, there's, there's the administrative staff equivalent the length of time it takes to book in a new patient at A&E reception or the, the number of clicks it takes to book a new outpatient appointment. And there, across the hospital, you could see all those kind of things. And, and just if, even if you just picked five tasks that are commonly done and said, we're going to study these and we're going to learn the actual lessons that can be learned. And then we will take that, the, uh, the learnings back to the supplier community and say, uh, these are the things you can learn from each other. These are the things that we want. Uh, by the way, if you um, uh, if you can't get to within, you know, uh, a certain percentile of the mean on this, then you will no longer be able to sell to the NHS after, you know, the end of the year. You know, we can make it, we could give it teeth and we could say that the, the outliers at the upper end that are dragging clinical workflow um, to a snail's pace, they'll be thrown out um so and that that to me seems like it's the kind of thing that you get clinical buy-in from as well because it's really it's measuring their pain and and actually doing something about it whereas my worry is that quite a lot of programs that have sought to address this kind of thing you know there's the there is that there is a director of mission one or whatever staff burden to me I guarantee there's not a single person that works full-time clinically that I know in, in my ED that has even heard that that person exists or has any idea that they have an influence. And the same with what good looks like. I don't think it will reach the clinical front line unless we actually steer it towards something that's really focused, measurable and simple. Yeah, um, a really interesting point about giving that specification to suppliers as early as possible. 
and, and then in, into exclusion. I just wanted to comment on one other point uh, for what David had said, which uh, we know very well in the world of laboratory medicine, is the suppliers are in a very privileged position. They visit lots, lots of NHS organisations, perhaps more than people do within the NHS. So uh, listening to suppliers as well as telling them is a very important tool in identifying and transferring good practice. Uh, when you buy any system of any sort, information systems, laboratory systems, linear accelerators within the NHS, the vendors bring a lot of knowledge from other NHS organizations to each procurement. And I think if we're looking at this center, local, what are the standards, uh, we, uh, we really should be listening to suppliers as well as telling them. Yeah. David, Speaking of suppliers um, and what you can do within this program, what do you need on, on the supplier side from the likes of NHSX to make this program work? Um, I, I, I think that, um, as, as um, Jonathan has said and, and, and Marcus has said, um, I think that suppliers would absolutely want to work with NHSX on this. I think, let, let, let's face it, you know, most um, NHS professionals you know, buying a major system is a once in a lifetime thing that they do in their career. Whereas suppliers is something that we do all the time. We do it many, many times. So we do know perhaps, you know, what works and what, what doesn't work and how programs are, um, are more successful. You know, so um, I think being able to work and actually cope, you know, in, indeed, I would go so far as to say, co-produce this NHSX should be working with the service they've got to work with suppliers to actually be able to co-produce this what good looks like because I think between I think there's um, no one group has got a monopoly of wisdom and I think we've all got um, something to be able to uh, uh, bring to bear on this because if we are all interested in doing this I can tell you all suppliers are interested in making the NHS more successful with its IT well, we are very, very fast running out of time. This happens all the time. We get very caught up in very interesting discussions. So I just wanted to ask you all one quick question towards uh, just to finish it off. Um, very, very quick answer. It's just supposed to be a little bit of fun. Um, but if I was to promote you up into NHSX, which I have zero authority to do, um, but if you could tell them one thing in, you know, what you want them to focus on in this program, what would it be? Uh, for me, it would be, uh, I think, actually about um, leadership, about culture, um, in, uh, you know, uh, inclusivity of how you make these things work and how we more generally improve the, um, you know, data literacy, data literacy of people um, across the NHS. That's a good one. Marcus, what would you do? I think I'd do that, that thing that I talked about a few minutes ago, which is I'd find some common tasks. I would go and measure how long it takes to do them, the number of clicks to do them, and I would compare and contrast and learn the lessons and then feed that back to suppliers and, and trusts and, and to the clinical staff too, so that they finally get the feeling that they are being heard. Um, and mine is just about the same as Marcus's. Simplify the first round of building blocks. Get the basic tasks that are hurting people everywhere. Yeah identify good practice, share good practice on those, then move on to more complex tasks. Yeah, 
Well, they're all very good, very good points. And hopefully someone at NHSX is listening to this podcast. I'm sure they are. Um, so that can give them some tips to go on. Um, I also just want to say that if this po- if this topic, sorry, has uh, tickled your fancy, we are running a webinar um, on the What Good Looks Like program. It's going to be on the 3rd of February, where you can hear all about it from NHSX's CIO, Sonia Patel. So if you're interested in listening in on that, you can register under the events banner on digitalhealth.net. And that draws this episode to an end. Jonathan, David, Marcus and Hannah, it's been so great having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, And of course, to all of our listeners, thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As usual, we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, so you can give us a follow on any of those platforms to keep up to date with what we're doing. And we're always very keen to hear from you as well. So if you do have a podcast suggestion, you can drop us a line on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you in two weeks' time. Bye.